can open with prayer. Lord, we just thank for this opportunity to come before you to open the word and to have you minister to us through the word and, and to see what you'd have us to, to learn. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 8. Wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all those all things in Christ, which both which are in the heaven and which are on the earth, even in him, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should go that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. So we want to look at this. Uh, it says, first in verse 8, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. This word abound is really a great word because it means that he exceeds an expected point. You know, and it's amazing to me, wherever you are with God, we all have this point where we think God's at. And as you grow and you get to know him better, wherever that point is, <laughs> You find that he's more than. Hopefully you've been there. You find out, you start thinking about how much God loves you. you know, and you find out, no matter what you do, you find out he loves you more than you ever expected. You know, I kind of think about this as when you try to think about what old is. <laughs> you know, if, you're, if you're a teenager, <laughs> old is probably somebody in their late 20s, maybe 30. You know, you're never going to get there, but that's old. <laughs> you know, and you get to be in your 20s and 30s, and old maybe moves out to, you know, 50 or 60. <laughs> you know, you get out to your 50s, and you, you still don't feel like you're old, you know, even though you might have thought you were old in your younger days, but now, now that you're there, old is someplace out there around 70, 80. You know, you know old is always someplace beyond <laughs> wherever you're at. <laughs> you know, this is, this is how we are with God. You know, we or should be with God. Whatever picture we have of God, expand upon it. <laughs> you know, we talked about he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And I brought out to you that that also means that he is every time at the same time. Okay? God encompasses all of time, everywhere in time, <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> you know, he's even beyond all that. You know, so we want to keep pushing our understanding of who God is because he's infinite. You know, the idea that he's all-powerful. You know, he is all-powerful. However powerful you think all is, add to it. Our door handle's broken, so the wind blew it open. <laughs> uh, you know, he's all-powerful, so you get to a place and you go, God, this is, what, you know, this is how strong I think you are, and then you get out there where you need that much strength, and you realize he's stronger still. <laughs> And he's even further. We as Christians, as we get to know him more, should begin to understand how much greater he is. We've been talking a lot about grace. You know, the grace of God will cover all of our sins, all of our failings, and beyond. Much more abundant grace is what we talked about two weeks ago. Whatever grace we think he has and we think we need, he'll go beyond. And this should help us as we're dealing with other people. If God has got grace for us, we should have grace 
much more abounding for them. Now, and, and I'm sure none of you have ever met anybody in your life that you just couldn't handle being around. <laughs> they taxed your grace. They taxed your love. And I can tell you right now, God put them in your, put them in your past just to help you tax your grace and tax your love so that you could learn to much more abound in love and grace. And we've all been there. We've all found people that we've had trouble <laughs> dealing with. And God's saying, you need it. Maybe it's ourself with God. And we say, God, I just don't know how you can forgive me for doing whatever it is that you're, you've done. And you struggle with it. And God says, my grace is sufficient. I will help you. I will help go beyond that. In verse 9, it says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he has purposed in his heart. The mystery of his will. I love this phrase because it's used in many places in the scripture. And we're going to look at what the mystery of Christ is or the mystery of God's will is real quick. Because I think we need to understand it. And for each one of us in this room, we love the mystery of, of, God's, of Christ because it's all about us. <laughs> because the Jews had this idea of you had to be Jew to go to heaven. If you weren't a Jew, there was no way you were out of luck. God had chosen them, and, and they were the people. They, weren't gonna, they, didn't, they didn't work at proselytizing people. You know, if somebody really wanted to become a Jew, they would say, okay, you can, you can become a Jew if you follow all these different steps. But you know, if you read in in book of Exodus, and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God never said that a Gentile could not come in and make an offering in the temple. He never did. That became a Jewish thing, that they couldn't do it. He said very clearly that the sacrifices were for all people. And he said, even the strangers in your land, which meant non-Jews, <laughs> would be able to come in and offer sacrifices without becoming Jews. And this was God's plan all along. And we want to look at this. We're going to turn to Romans 16. Or you can listen to me read it if you're not fast enough at finding them. Romans 16, starting at verse 25. Now unto him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Christ Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was crept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, is made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Okay, so Paul many times is just saying, here's the mystery. <laughs> he expected this mystery to be understood by people. And there's places, we're going to read where he actually defines it. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 and 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of the man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. So Paul was saying that if the princes of this world, and he's referring to the demonic powers, if they had really understood the mystery of God, they would never have crucified Jesus. And it's good that Satan didn't really understand the plan of God. Because Jesus died so that all of us could be forgiven of our sins. And if Satan truly understood the power of that revelation, he would have never crucified the Son. 
He tried hard to destroy the Israelite people many times, tried to destroy them to try to get rid of the Messiah, try to keep the birth of the Messiah. When Jesus was born, he used Herod to try to kill all the children in the, in the area of Bethlehem that are under, under uh, you know, infant age and toddler age to try to get rid of the Messiah. You know, he tried to then say, okay, we couldn't keep him, let's go ahead and just kill him. He can't start the kingdom. He also didn't understand that the, Jesus didn't come to start the kingdom at that moment, but to die for sin. Since then, he's tried to destroy the Jews because the Jews have a plan, that God's got a plan for the Jews in the tribulation in the millennial kingdom. And he's constantly been trying to get rid of the Jews. And he tries hard. He tried to bring Hitler to destroy him. He's, you know, he's tried to bring the, the, the Muslim world through there to try to destroy them. All these things that he's done to try to destroy the Jews because if he can destroy them, he stops God's plan. <laughs> and yet God says, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And if you listen to different speakers and everything, a lot of them will try to tell you the church has replaced the Jews in God's plan. Don't buy that. God's put the Jews on hold for a little while, and he's dealing with the church. But once the church is gone in the, uh, in the rapture and the tribulation starts, it's all about Israel again. And when you read the, read the book of Revelation, the last part of it is all about Israel. All about Israel. And how God's trying to bring them to him and the rest of the world to him. But God's plan has never been for the Jews to be the only ones. <laughs> never been his plan. He had a plan for all people. All of us Gentiles, those of us who aren't Jews, which I think is everybody in this room. <laughs> uh, and in most churches, it's pretty much everybody in the room <laughs> are Gentiles, especially in America. Every once in a while, you go to Jew, Jew in a church, but I mean, it's, for the most part, we're Gentiles, people who aren't Jews. And it's kind of interesting when we read this because I was talking just this morning about how we as Gentiles read the New Testament and sometimes think we understand it. But you know, the, the, the New Testament was written by Jews. And a lot of times what we think we understand about the New Testament isn't correct. Which is one of the reasons I like teaching the Old Testament so that we'll start understanding the New Testament in a, in a better way because it was written by people who understood certain things. When Paul talks about us being the temple of God or the tabernacle of God, he has a very specific thing in mind. He's thinking about the tabernacle they built in, in the book of Exodus and the symbology of the temple and how they walked through the, through, the, through the tent and they saw man, sin, the blood, Jesus, all in the walls of the temple, of the, of the, of the tabernacle. And so when Paul's thinking tabernacle and us being saved, he's saying, this is very beautiful. And we as Gentiles will usually read, oh, we're the tabernacle of God. Okay, we're a tent, big deal. <laughs> you know, and for a Jew, that meant so much. There was such power in that statement. How many of you have ever read that Jesus said, when you pray, enter into your closet? <laughs> you know, for us Gentiles, that means, okay, I'll go to my bedroom and enter that great big room with... Uh, you know, or a small room, depending on how big your closet is, and go hide in my closet. But that's not what the Jew understood it to be. The Jew would say, okay, I've entered in my closet, I've pulled my prayer shawl over me, I've wrapped my arms around me, and I've entered in my closet for prayer. You know, and you know, it had a very specific meaning to them that we as Gentiles don't understand. So we need to be able to understand these things, but God had a plan for us. In, um, 
Ephesians 3, 4, it says, Whereby when you read, you, you may understand my, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, but now is revealed unto those holy apostles and prophets by the spirits, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. We have fellowship with God. That's the mystery of Christ. That's the mystery of God's will. Because the Jews said, okay, we have fellowship with God, and we're going to keep it all to ourselves. And they did a pretty good job of keeping it all to themselves. Yes, occasionally there'd be a proselyte come in and say, hey, I really want to be a Jew, and, and they'd become a Jew. But they never went out and evangelized. As a matter of fact, if you remember the story of Jonah, Jonah was told, uh, go tell that city Nineveh that they need to repent or I'm going to destroy them. And we all know the story of Jonah. Jonah decided he hated the Ninevites enough that he didn't want the Ninevites to come into fellowship with God. He didn't want them not to be destroyed because they were the enemy. Uh, that would be like for us, uh, I don't know, who do we have as an enemy nowadays? ISIS, I guess, would be the closest thing to an enemy we have. Now, for most of our generation, if we think back into the 60s, we'd have fought Russia. Uh, you know, and it would be like, go to your enemy and preach the gospel and get them saved so I don't have to destroy them. And Jonah's saying, uh, I don't think so, God. <laughs> you know, this will solve a lot of our problems. We'll just let them be destroyed. So he tried to go the other way. And God brought him back. And if you remember at the very end of the story, when Nineveh repented, Jonah said something very interesting. He goes, I knew how loving and gracious you were. And I knew that you'd forgive them if they repented. And that's why I went the other direction. Isn't that kind of sad? Mm -hmm. You know, God, uh, uh, I knew that you'd forgive them, so I went the other way because I really wanted them to go to hell anyway. <laughs> you know, how often do we as Christians think that same way, though? God, this person is just so bad, I really don't want to see them in heaven with me. We may not say that out loud, but when we look at these people that are, that are having a hard time, that are in gangs, that are drunk, that are committing fornication, adultery, prostitution, drugs, whatever it might be, and we go, uh, they're just too bad, I can't, I'm not going to go witness to them. We're saying the same thing that Jonah said. You know, God, I just don't want you to be forgiving them, just let them go to hell. We don't really understand hell if we take that attitude with people. We need to be out there sharing the gospel with people. The American Christian church tends to have this mentality, well, when they get their life together and come to church, then we will give them the gospel. Well, you know what? If they get their life together, they're hard to reach anyway. Jesus' biggest problem was with the scribes and Pharisees who thought they had their life together. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, when you're witnessing to people, I really prefer to witness to people who know that their life is messed up, that they don't have it together, because they know they're a sinner headed for hell. The hardest person to reach is that person who thinks they're a good person, that they think they don't need God because they're they're a pretty good person. They're not, they're not on the streets. They're not, they're not drunk every, every other day. They're not strung out. They're not, you know, cheating on their, cheating on their spouse. You know, they go, well, I'm a good person. I've got it all together. Do you know how many good people there are going to be in hell? Millions and billions of good people are going to be in hell because good is not what gets us into heaven. The way to heaven is through Jesus Christ only. 
So there are going to be millions and billions of good people in hell. And get ready for this. There's going to be millions of bad people in heaven because they got there because they believed in Jesus Christ. You know, and you know, I've said it over and over. The, the old joke goes, we'll be, two things will surprise us in heaven. Those who are there and those who aren't there. Because we're going to see there's some people that there's going to be people that we saw every week in church and they were there every time the doors were open, but they never knew Jesus. They seemed good. They had their act together, but they never knew Jesus. And then we're going to see those people that probably darkened the doors of the churches three or four times in their life, got saved on the street when somebody evangelized to them, lived a terrible life because they could never get victory and never committed themselves to church. But they accepted Jesus. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we've talked about this many times. Paul's biggest problem with was Judaizers coming in behind him. He'd tell them, you're saved by grace, and the Judaizers would go on, Paul's message is good, but, but, <laughs> you know, you need to do, you know, and they give you this long list of rules to follow. That is not what being saved is about. Being saved is to follow Jesus. Now, does that mean because we know Jesus, we're going to go out and just sin to our heart's content? No, because if you really know Jesus, you're going to be convicted when you sin. And you're going to stop sinning because he's going to convict you. Does that mean you're going to, that you may have the same sins as everybody else? No. And I've shared this before. There's things I cannot do that others are, will get away with doing because God told me I couldn't do them. I looked at the scriptures and he says, you know, this, is, this applies to you. Are there certain thou shalt nots? Oh, there's lots of thou shalt nots. <laughs> you shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit fornication. If you're doing any of those thou shalt nots, then you're sinning. Not a question to that. Okay? Homosexuality is sin. Stealing from people is sin. Being, being covetous of what others have is a sin. Speaking evil against somebody you're starting to get into more of a gray area. There's all kinds of proofs of, say, don't speak out. God told me I can't speak out against certain politicians because when he told me that, I wasn't even praying for them because I didn't want them to be in office anyway. And I said lots of bad things about them. And he says, you know, you're not even praying for them, so you better not be speaking <laughs> against these authorities. Does that mean I agree with everything they do? Nope. <laughs> but now I pray more for the, the leaders because God said to not maybe, probably not as much as I should, but I try to pray for our leaders. It's hard sometimes, and I know you all know this, when a leader is just taking us down the wrong path into sin and, and destruction, it's hard to pray for them. But you know, we're getting the leaders that this country deserves, unfortunately, because this country as a whole has turned its back on God. We need to start in our churches and get, turn, get, get uh, repentant and turn back to him. Then take it outside of these walls and talk to our neighbors and our and those around us and get them to be convicted and repent and turn to God. And you know what? God may still have a great awakening out there. Now, there's still hope for a great awakening. There's been two of them in America so far. And both times God's turned his wrath from this country and made our country strong. Now, I don't hold much hope for another great awakening, but if we're gonna have one, it's gonna start in church. It's gonna start with us. We need to get right. We need to come back to God. We need to go forward with him. We need to repent, and then we take it outside the walls. And I talk a lot about, you know, we are the church in chloride, not this building, 
but us sitting in this, in this room. We're the church of chloride. When we dismiss from this room and this gathering, we take the church of chloride and spread it all over chloride and all over, and all over Kingman and all the other places we go to. <laughs> but we take the church of chloride outside these walls and, and show it to people. We need to be that light on the hillside that people say, you know, that's one of those really weird, strange people. They're Christians. <laughs> You know, they don't think the same way we do. They don't act the same way we do. And this is important. We need to be different. We need to, when people look at us, they're going, there's just something strange about them. They don't, they don't act the way we do. And they're going to think that's weird. They're going to look at it. But you know what? They're also going to see when we're walking with God that we seem to have peace. We have love. We have care. And it's exactly what they want. <laughs> And when we show that to people, they might make fun of us. They might ridicule us. But I can tell you, the person they're going to go talk to when their life totally crashes and falls apart is that other Christian who's, who's gone through some stuff and didn't totally fall apart because they had something to stand on and stand with and stand for. I can't tell you how many times in my lifetime I've had people, you know, they would kind of shun me, make fun of my Christianity, but when they had a hard time, I was the one they wanted to come and talk to. How did you make it through this? When this happened to you, how did you go through this? And I want to encourage people, share what God does for you. you know, if you want practice, start with the church. It's safe to talk to people in the church about what God's done for you. you know, tell people in the church what God's done for you. But then get really crazy. Start telling the people around you that don't go to church, you know what God did for me this last week? He provided... Uh, you know, I had a bill that I didn't know where it was going to be paid and that money came in or this person came and offered to fix my car or whatever it might be that God has done for you. Share it with people. They'll think you're crazy. They'll think you're insane, but who cares? Because they need to know that you, we have a God that's doing things for us. And I've shared this with you. The Bible is great. It gives us the stories and testimonies of all kinds of people and what God's done for them. But you know, when we read the Bible, there's this tendency to think, well, yeah, God did that 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, but what's he doing today? We need to be sharing with each other what is God doing today? <laughs> How is he working today? Uh, I've had so many blessings. I've had starter put into my car because I couldn't afford to put, you know, buy the starter number one and didn't really want to put it in even when I bought it, if I had bought it. I've had somebody fix the air conditioning in my house, you know, that cost a lot of money. You know, I've had blessings that God has provided. He is blessing today. What's he doing for you? How many people have you shared it with? How many people know that you've got a God who's still alive, still active in this world? Because that's what they want to know. If you want to, if you want to go beyond that, read, read biographies, Christian biographies, and see what God has done for people in the last couple hundred years. It still helps build your faith. You need to do something to help build your faith that there is a God who still is the same today as he was yesterday. God has not changed. He still wants to do miraculous things in his life. He still wants to provide for us. I can tell you that he's done miraculous things on our potluck dinners at times when there's been little food and lots of people and still food left at the end of the time. You know, and as far as I know, nobody's ever left one of our potlucks hungry. <laughs> If you've left her hungry, that's your problem because there's always been food left over. Maybe not much, but there's always been food left over. And I know there's times when God has stretched that food <laughs> to feed it because I've looked up there and gone, oh, God, it's a little slim today. 
and yet at the end there's still food. And you go, well, you know, is that really a miracle? I don't know. I think it is. <laughs> God fed 5,000. You know, Jesus fed 5,000 with just uh, five loaves and three, uh, two fish. You know, so you know, I have no problem with him stretching whatever's out there. <laughs> I know for a fact he's done it in the past in my life where we've had a, you know, a pot of rice and a, and a, and a bowl of gumbo and, and 40 people in there with, a, with just a three-quart pot of gumbo and everybody left full. You know, and nobody added anything else, so... I know God's still doing things today. And we need to understand, he's still the same God as he was in the Bible. He's still doing miracles. He's still answering prayers. He wants us to pray. And not just God bless this person, help this person. You know, how do you know when somebody's been blessed? <laughs> you know, if your prayer is bless this person, how do you know when they've been blessed? You know, ask for some specifics. If you know that they need to pay a bill, say, God, help that bill, the money to come in for that bill. Help them get this repaired. Help them get this done. Help their health in this area. We need to ask specific prayers because I can tell you, when you start getting specific prayers answered, your faith is going to be built. When you see God answering pr your prayers, you're going to get bold in your prayers and say, okay, God, <laughs> I've got some real prayers for you now. <laughs> and lift up greater prayers. He's wanting to give us things. He wants to do much more than we expect. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Does that mean we're going to be rich because we trust God? Not necessarily. Most of us couldn't be trusted with riches. And it's been proven. It's been shown that most people who are wealthy will not tithe. Because they look at their tithe check and say, $3,000? You know. What can I pay? What can I use three thousand dollars on? And they say, "Well, God, you only need three hundred. <laughs> no, you need a you need a tenth of my tithe." And this happens, and you we laugh about it, but this is what happens. It's easy when you're poor to tithe. You know, uh, God, here's my hundred dollars. I couldn't do much with it anyway, but here's my hundred dollars. But when your tithe is starting to be closing in on thousand to three thousand dollars for a tithe, we start thinking about other things, don't we? And it's real easy. It's natural. And God's saying, just honor me. Just, just support. Because it's a need. Does God need our money? No. God doesn't need our money. He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to learn obedience. He wants us to learn trust. And I can tell you, it's, it's hard sometimes when you look at the, your check and you're going, God, this would have paid my electric bill, but you said give, me your, give the tithes, so now the electric bill is yours. <laughs> Believe me, I do that a lot. <laughs> I look at the end of the month and I see a whole bunch of red ink. <laughs> and I say, God, there's some bills for you to pay. <laughs> and you know, God has been very faithful to pay those bills. But I'm going to keep giving him the tithe because it's his. It's what he's asked for. And for me, I give offering as well, but it's tithe and offering. But God is saying the mystery of Christ was that he would be made known to <coughs> Gentiles. He would bring us into fellowship. And I hope you understand what it means to be in fellowship with God. I see so many people that are afraid to come to God. Why are they afraid? Because they don't trust that Jesus paid for all the sin. So they fear God. They're very afraid of God. They, usually they can't forgive, them, forgive themselves for their sins, so they don't believe that God, which shows that they don't believe that God has forgiven them. And I can guarantee you, if you have a sin that's unrepented and you're very fearful of coming to God, you're not going to pray. <laughs> You're probably not going to read your Bible because you don't want the conviction of, 
of it, and you're probably going to stop coming to church and being around God's people. And if you do those three things, you'll eventually drift away from God completely. And God will then have to come around with a two-by-four, bang you over the head a few times, and say, what, what, what are you doing out there? I've been there. <laughs> been there where I drifted away from God for a couple years. And I'm going to tell you, it's so easy to drift away from God. So easy to drift away from God. Now, if anybody had told me when I was a teenager that there would be a point in my life where I would have drifted away from God and not read my Bible and not gone to church, I would have told them they were totally insane and crazy. And yet in my mid mid 20s, early 20s, mid 20s, I just drifted away. Working 60, 80 hours a week didn't help matters any. You know, I'd come go to work and I'd go home and go to bed and go back to work. Didn't read my Bible, stopped going to church, and before long, I wasn't doing anything for God. I know how easy it is to happen. I know how easy it is. And this is why we as a church, when we see somebody who has, who's been missing for a week or two, we need to call that person and say, hey, how are you doing? We've missed you. I do it as much as I can. But we need every one of us to do that. Just to say, hey, you know, we've missed you. you know, send a note, send a card, say we've missed you. Let them know that they're missed. Let them know that they're loved. Because it is easy to get away from God's fellowship. And when you're in the middle of his fellowship and you're having a good time with God, you know, the last thing you think you're going to do is get away from God. You know, when you're in the Word every day, you're coming to church you know, every, every week or when the doors are open and you're listening to the Christian radio, you're listening to Christian music, you're going, oh man, nothing will ever take me away from God. Be careful. If you ever get to a place where you think nothing can take you down in an area, be careful. Because we usually fall in the place that we think we're strong. Because we guard our weaknesses. If I know that I'm weak in an area, I put a guard on that. Nothing, I'm not going to let myself get tempted in that area. But man, I, you know, I'm strong. I'll never miss a day of church. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> You've let your guard down, you're going to be in trouble. In, in, in warfare, the time that most guys get hurt, other than a direct assault, is that they forget they're in battle. They forget they're in battle and they take off their helmet or their, and they loosen up their body armor and they light a cigarette and the next thing they go, they've got a bullet through the head because they forgot they were in battle. We are in battle. We cannot forget that we are in battle because we will be in spiritual battle until we die and step into the kingdom. Then we can be at peace. <laughs> then we can relax. But until then, we need to be on guard and watch the areas where you think you're strong as well as the areas where you think you're weak because that is where you're going to fall every time. And then it says that, God is going to, that Jesus is going to bring all that belongs to him. And verse 11, in whom we have an inheritance. Inheritance. We have an inheritance with God. And when we hear the word inheritance, I don't know if anybody in this room is rich, has any rich relatives out there that are just waiting to get their inheritance from their rich relative. I don't have anybody like that. Uh, I, figure, I figure if any of my relatives die, I, I, it may cost me money for them. Uh, you know, there might be one or two where I'll get a couple hundred out of it or something, but I'm not expecting any inheritance from anybody. But we as Christians are joint heirs. We have an insurance. We have an inheritance with Jesus. 
joint heirs with Jesus. Can you think about that kind of an inheritance? God owns everything. And if he doesn't have enough, he'll just create some more. <laughs> you know, he's not going to run out. He can provide every need that we have. Now, sometimes we have things that we think are needs that aren't needs. Uh, but he will provide all of our needs. And you know the good news is? He's a good father. He wants to provide some of our wants as well. You know, most of us as parents always wanted to do good things for our kids and give them something. You know, every once in a while you have a bad parent that just says, you, know, you don't get anything, you're starved to death. Most of us want our kids to have good things, have it better than we have it. Sometimes that is detrimental when we try to protect them from all harm because they need to go through it. But we want to do things for our kids. You know, and we will give them their needs, we'll give them their food, we'll give them their shelter. But, you know, if possible, we wanted to take them to an amusement park at least once in their lifetime or, you know, to some event, you know, just, to, just because we love them. Not because they needed it. You know, the times my parents took us to, to the amusement park, I mean, there was definitely no need to go to the amusement park. Now, I might have as a kid thought there was a need to go to an amusement park because I love amusement parks, especially roller coasters. But it wasn't a need. <laughs> And yet they would do things like that. Yeah. I, my, my family was poor enough going out to eat. But it was a very special event. We only did it about once, once or twice a year. <laughs> but, but it was a big event for us. Because we didn't have the money to go do it. But it was just a blessing that our parent, my parents would do. God wants to help us with just being blessed at times. But we need to learn to be thankful for it. If we just want to consume his blessings on us, he'll just say, okay, you're, you're just going to have your needs, and we're going to give you just your needs. <laughs> you know, in America, we think we're hungry if we, have, if we don't have our three meals a day. Most of the world feels lucky if they have a bowl of rice in the morning and something in the evening for dinner. And when we talk about a bowl of rice, we're not talking about a bowl of rice like we would think of in America. We're talking a scoop of rice. <laughs> And we think we starve to death if we don't if we don't eat three times a day. You know, we've been deprived. I mean, I'm, I'm suffering from starvation. You know, I have a hard time when I hear everybody saying there's so many people starving in America. Yes, they may be a little hungrier than the average American, but they're not starving. I haven't seen too many people walking around America with the big pot bellies with ribs showing that you see from all these places where people are starving. And that's not to belittle what they're going through. Yes, they're hungry. Yes, they have less. But God is giving them their needs. They're still alive. And God's got an inheritance for us. He's got that inheritance for us to bless us. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be able to go forward with him. And all of this in verse 12, that we should be to the glory, the praise and glory who first trusted in Christ. Everything he does is for his praise, his glory. All of this is for God. When he blesses you, do you remember to bless him? Do you remember to thank him when you get, get something? It is, a, it is hard sometimes. It's so easy to just say, oh, thank, you know, oh I got this, great. <laughs> you know. And I catch myself sometimes forgetting even to say thank you to somebody. And usually I'll have to go track them down to say thank you. Because I really am thankful when, something, when I get something that's a blessing. I'm getting better at it. I'm usually able to thank people right off the bat. But it, you know, 
do we get to this place? Are we truly thankful? All that God gives us is to be for his glory. And we need to be able to thank him for that and honor him. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your, your love, your grace. Lord, we thank you for your inheritance, that you care for us enough to give us your benefits. And we ask you to just be with us and to love us. And we thank you in Jesus' name.